We live in this very dramatically changed business climate where the stakes are not just higher, but they're coming at us faster and faster. And we need ERP systems that can deal with this complex, interconnected world at an individual stakeholder level, at a macro level, a micro level, at every possible level to really make sure that these modern ERP systems can effectively run the businesses of today and try to run yesterday's business in 2023. Welcome to the Future of ERP podcast. My name's Richard Howells. I'm the Vice President for Thought Leadership for SAP's ERP, Finance and Supply Chain Solutions. Today, we're going to take a little trip back in time and discuss the evolution of ERP over the decades, and also take a look into the future with Josh Greenbaum. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself, please? I'd love to, Richard. Thanks. It's great to be here. I am Dubie's Distinction Award, the 30-year veteran of the SAP space, and a few more years in enterprise software in general, long before we actually talked about this thing called enterprise software. But I was very lucky to actually been based in Europe in the 90s, ran into these guys, this House of Platinum guy and a few other, and got to review R3 for the US market, first review ever written. And I've really focused on enterprise software since and really taken sort of the big picture view of, you know, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's not just a piece of technology. It has to really make businesses successful. And it's been a fun ride watching the evolution over all these years. It's, it, you and I on this podcast is a bit like the two guys in the Muppet show sitting in the balcony talking about ERP because we've both been around for 30 plus years in the ERP space. So great to catch up with you again and great to have you on the podcast. And the reason we're here is because you recently wrote a white paper titled The Case for Cloud ERP, Keeping Pace with Innovation and Operational Challenges in the Global Economy of Today. And in that white paper, you literally started in the beginning and talked about the evolution of ERP to start with. So maybe you could elaborate a little bit about your opinions of the creation of ERP systems in the first place. Well, you know, thanks. And in the beginning, we're getting very biblical here, of course. This is the good book we're discussing. And ERP really started in the 1990s. It was the successor to MRP and other, other kind of concepts. Enterprise research planning really took place at that confluence of two trends that kind of met in the middle of the 90s. First trend was this t was technology-based, relational databases, client-server computing. They really made the a lot of different things possible, including very distributed systems that could distribute technology power. You could actually put a lot on the desktop, put a lot in the back office, move stuff around. There's a lot of flexibility. We were done with the mainframe model. I think that was really important. And that flexibility really allowed both IT departments and software vendors to create different kinds of software and different, much more functional kinds of software than before. On the business side, and perhaps more importantly, was this thing called business process re-engineering that emerged at the same time. There were a bunch of business gurus, folks like Michael Hammer, who are lamenting the inability of companies to function. I'm going to quote him directly. To function in a time of rapidly changing technologies and ever shorter product life cycles. I'd just like to put that quote out there because that's 1990-something, and here we are, 2023-something. Hasn't really changed. But what Michael was really talking about was, you know, we didn't just need to speed up existing processes. We didn't want to just pave the cow paths, as he said. We needed to do things differently. We needed to have new ways to look at business processes. And in order to do that, you needed new technology. And the ERP really showed up at that very moment as the perfect technology foundation for this concept. And really, you could have an ERP software system that could take corporate data in a relational format, create a single unified database 
of the key transaction, finance, manufacturing uh, data, and then use that to make real you know, enterprise processes efficient and actually do the kind of things that Michael Hammer was trying to do. So they really came together and it was a real juggernaut that took off in the 1990s for SAP and a bunch of other companies as well. Yeah, it's interesting that the quote about ever shorter product cycles, because we're still seeing that today, except that it's at hyperspeed. The planning execution line is sort of blurred completely, and we've got continuous planning processes in place. Right, and continuous customer interaction didn't happen as well. It's light speed at that, you know, and conceptually it felt pretty fast back in the 1990s. So That's right. Amazing. As we're saying, a lot has happened in the last 30 years. Hell, a lot's happened in the last three years compared to the 27 years before that. So let's talk about the magnitude of some of these changes. What are the challenges of today versus 30 years ago that we wouldn't have been seeing 30 years ago? Well, yeah, I pull out some of these data points and there's, I just picked a few of them, there's a zillion of them, but you know, one of the data points I use in the paper is just looking at the global economy and sort of the concept of trade across the global economy. In 1990, that number was about $2.7 trillion worth of goods flowing back and forth across the global economy. In 2020, the total number of exports and imports was $36.5 trillion. So that's a 12, 13 you know, time increase. It, most importantly, it's not just that the volume, the sheer volume increased. That, the volume of that trade also meant that trade was much more interconnected and interdependent. That interconnectedness and interdependency of trade really was the difference, not just we're selling one set of things to another country and the balance of payments is totally skewed in our direction. It's back and forth. It's companies working together to sell finished goods across a global economy into multiple different economies. It's really that simple order of magnitude, 13 times more, is part of the story. I also talk about just large container ships that could handle a few thousand of these 20-foot containers now that handle 20,000 of them. There are thousands of ships like this. They carry something on the order of 14 million cubic feet worth of goods on one ship. Unfortunately, um, the Suez Canal didn't grow exponentially as well. Right. That was a perfect moment of that interconnectivity, actually. I was talking about an interdependency. And in fact, you know, that's sort of the other point is that in the midst of this kind of growth, what we find with that interconnectedness is that more and more people need more and more information about what's happening in the economy, in their businesses, in their partnerships and ecosystems. And I always love to say that supply chain management in the good old days when we first started with this ERP thing was the purview of a bunch of operations research egghead PhDs who were the only guys looking at that stuff trying to figure out how to model the supply chain. Today, the, every call center agent needs access to supply chain data. Where's my product? Where's my services? What's going on? They need that information. So we now have sort of stretched the model of what is ERP to be all-inclusive, both from a data standpoint, as well as from an individual stakeholder standpoint. Everybody needs to touch this. And that includes the customer and the external partners. It's an immensely more complex world. And I guess the other thing that's really changed, you know, is that with this interdependency and interconnectedness has come a real sensitivity to a dynamic global world that has things like pandemics and wars and natural disasters that don't just impact a certain region of the country or a certain you know set of companies in Southeast Asia or the West Coast of the United States or anywhere else. It's global. And these perturbations in one corner of the world with sort of the butterfly effect 
have direct and palatable impacts across the economies, which is what we're leading up to. We really don't can't use the ERP systems of 1990 to manage this complexity. It's much greater scale than anything was imagined back then. And that leads on to the crux of the paper. It's titled The Case for Cloud ERP. So this is your chance. Could you please state the case for ERP in today's global economy and cloud ERP in particular? And that is, it is indeed, we live in this very dramatically changed business climate where the stakes are higher. The stakes are not just higher, but they're coming at us faster and faster. And we need ERP systems that can deal with this complex, interrelated, interconnected world at, a, at an individual stakeholder level, at a macro level, a micro level, at every possible level to really make sure that these modern ERP systems can effectively run the businesses of today and not try to run yesterday's business in 2023. Right. So, so maybe we can delve a little bit more into the details here. I think it's safe to say, and we've already discussed that in the past 30 years, the rate of business change has increased exponentially. Why are cloud ERP systems better equipped to respond to these changes? Well, you, the cloud has a lot of really direct benefits to this, to particularly companies that are trying to operate in this highly dynamic world. And that's, it, it's designed to respond to dy dynamic situations. So the cloud, being in the cloud, putting your software in the cloud makes it easy for you as the vendor to modify it, to upgrade it for the customer, enhance it, and deliver core business processes while maintaining a stable backend. So you can really get this, get a, get the sort of the model as perfect as possible of the customer where you stabilize the set, the central business processes, things you've got to do, regulations require you to do it, economic reality requires you to do it, but you also are able to have a very adaptive dynamic system that allows you to change things rapidly and quickly for the customer and do it in a way that, that, that makes technological sense. So you don't break anything in the process of running as fast as you can to keep up with the global economy. So the cloud allows tremendous elasticity, for instance. So you have, you're in a business that has very dramatic swings back and forth in terms of demand and your business cycle. Well, instead of owning a data center big enough to handle your absolute peak, you can work with the cloud's elasticity to, to spin up and spin down the, the virtual machines or direct servers that, that you need in order to maintain your business at the pace in which the current demand requires it. I think the cloud also really favors enabling a data-rich analytical environment for customers. This is absolutely essential. You're going to you know, live in that real-time world. You're going to be that kind of interconnected, interdependent business. You're going to have the data to back it up to make those decisions as precisely as possible. And organizing in the cloud gives a tremendous amount of both structural format to the data, but also access to the data across, again, this panoply of stakeholders that aren't just now, you know, five men and women in one department, but your entire company, your entire ecosystem. I think that one of the nice things about this model is that you can really, as the vendor, the vendor can build in the best practices and modify them, update them. Some of those best practices, for instance, tax law changes. There's some economies, Brazil and Russia are always called out. Maybe we don't do business in Russia anymore, but certainly we do in Brazil. And that stuff changes all the time. Instead of every customer trying to fix that or every partner trying to fix that for the customer, the SaaS model allows the vendor to fix that once and deliver it to every customer. Literally with a you know, click of a switch and not these painful upgrade processes that we had to do in the back, back in the past. And again, you know, just 
Finally, at the end of the day, this model, the cloud ELP model, really is designed to maximize the connectivity to the greatest number of stakeholders possible to do it in a very efficient customer experience. And that's essential. That None of this works if you can't do those kind of things and then deliver the functionality to the stakeholders who need it. I did a podcast with Paul Saunders from SAP a few weeks ago, and he was talking about the concept of a clean core and, and standardizing the processes that are non-differentiating and then being able to customize where it's uniquely differentiating. And if we're trying to reduce customization and implement standard packages and standard implementations across numerous industries, how is it possible with different priorities, rules, and regulations across different industries, and every company has its unique requirements as well. So how are you seeing companies addressing that challenge? And do you think the cloud ERP concept helps that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're absolutely right. This is a constant tension in the technology world that you want technology to give you a competitive advantage as a company in order to excel. But the other hand, you need to keep the lights on. You need to keep the lights on, again, in this very complex world where regulations aren't just necessarily, not just necessarily governed by the regulations in a single industry. You may sell into aerospace and defense and transportation automotive, which are regulated in the United States by very different entities. You are also required you know, by different countries to function differently. So one of the nice things about you know, this standard clean core concept is that Again, the stuff that's the same, that's identical or as close to identical as possible. For instance, regulations around sustainability, laws and around payroll and human resources, that stuff can be baked into the standard core. That's going to be the same for no matter what industry you're in. You can also sort of extend the core into different verticals because a lot of vertical industries, if you're, for instance, in, you're in oil and gas today, downstream oil and gas, you're also in the retail world. Absolutely, you know, fundamental. Everyone does work in the logistics at some point. There are fundamental ways in which all businesses are the same and all businesses are different. The cloud can really cover the part where all businesses are the same and do that extremely broadly because, again, you're, it's living in a cloud data center where, you know, where individual company resources aren't the question in terms of its functionality. That, it can run in the cloud. And then, you know, the nice thing about how the cloud has been configured today, cloud ERP, is that the concept of extensibility, configuration extensibility are really predominant. So you can build into your cloud ERP, you know, complex tax model. And, you know, when you click this way, are you doing business in Brazil? Check that box. We got you covered. You're doing business in France where there's sometimes there's 13 months of the year and not 12, depending on how you do it. Check the box. You got it. But also as a company trying to do something very unique with your customer service, with your service delivery, you can build that as an extension and have that also live in a cloud and manage it as a cloud asset and really kind of beat the problem that, you know, of complexity in terms of managing customizations and making sure that they interact with continually evolving cloud products. So you've got certain best of both worlds. Standardization where standardization makes sense and extensibility where sensibility gives you that competitive advantage. Right. There's a section in the white paper around new business imperatives. And I think it would be nice to delve into that a little bit. So what are some of the new business imperatives that we're seeing in the 21st century versus the past? And how can and are ERP systems in the 21st century helping to address those business imperatives? 
I think you could probably some every business imperative of late into let's do something, let's do better for our customers. Yep. And in the process, make sure that we are working with the best possible ecosystem to achieve that goal. I meet a lot of vice presidents of supply chain. It's been going on for a couple of years. They're supply chain VPs, but their job to a man and woman, they tell me is I got to deliver product to a customer. They don't necessarily understand the customer journey per se, or at least that last mile, but they need to be part of an end-to-end -end process that starts with a raw material being literally maybe dug out of the ground or grown in a petri dish to a, you know, to a finished good that's sitting on the customer's desk or in, in, you know, in their doctor's office. And so the business innovation of the 21st century is really about enabling these end-to-end -end processes to, to be as efficient and effective as possible. Efficiency for the customer, I'm sorry, for the vendor, because you know, the company wants to obviously turn in profit, turn a healthy profit, and hopefully do well by the partners, the suppliers in the supply chain that are supplying it. And obviously that extends out you know, into the customer world as well. You want to serve customers. In a, obviously, we know this is table stakes now. We're not talking about waiting for a customer to walk into a brick and mortar store and, you know, and, and write a check, <laughs> you know, and, to take home product. We have instantaneous gratification and fulfillment is part of the model. So we really, these, we have to make this end-to-end -end business process stretch as far as it can possibly stretch and still be as efficient and effective as possible. That's something you need. That's a 21st century business imperative that absolutely must be, you know, must be the ultimate goal of every company. And, and that tension exists when there's a cargo ship that gets jammed into the Suez Canal and all of a sudden the process is broken. So now it's broken or is it? Actually, if the process is well designed, it now reconfigures. Now, okay, we have a supply problem. We've got our supplies sitting on a boat in the Suez. What about another boat somewhere? What about reconfiguration? How can we be resilient? And so this concept of resiliency is a huge business imperative in the 21st century. And, you know, I think these improving these customer experiences also leads to, frankly, improving employee experiences as well. The empowered employee is the one who can really make the customer happy, can anticipate the customer's needs and then fulfill the customer's desires. And so we need to have better systems for employees as well. So really what you're looking at is saying, you know, everything that, that we started with at ERP is just sort of expanded out into these concentric circles of data process and interaction. And we're now sort of building a 21st century business that really puts technology in, you know, literally at the fingertips of every single employee with the same goal of making sure that customer gets satisfied, supply chain's functioning, and ideally, you know, the process is humming along despite the perturbations it's going to run into. I, I love your definition of a great customer experience because I'm from a ERP and supply chain background, and I've always said that a great customer experience doesn't end when you place the order. I mean, there's no point being able to place the order through e-commerce in six to ten seconds and then wait six weeks for the delivery. Because that's not a great I, customer experience. Yeah, yeah. I just rented a car from a company I won't name. It was a great car. It was a great experience. I mean, everything about the experience was great until I got the invoice. And then it was wrong, oh. which is fine. Things get wrong. Yep. You know, when we get this remediation was broken, you know, so the process, yeah. So the whole, you have to look at the whole process. This customer was happy and then all of a sudden I get a bad bill. Okay, so we get a bad bill. Now things broke. And so you can't, really, there's no stone left unturned in this, you know, this quest to really make customer service 
work well. And that means the whole thing that that supply chain has to be fixed. That value chain has to be perfect. And in order for me not to just have a great driving experience with my car, but have a great end of you know, end of relationship experience for that particular rental with, a, with the proper bill. It's very complicated and very essential. The, one of the imperatives that was mentioned in the paper was around meeting new compliance and risk management requirements. So let's delve into the sustainability topic, talking around compliance. And it's, I mean, sustainability is coming from all angles from, from a business's perspective. We're seeing it from, as consumers, we want to buy from companies that are, have sustainable practices. As employees, we want to work for sustainable companies. Increasingly, investors are looking at the sustainability in index before they buy. And regulatory bodies are obviously driving compliance regulations. In fact, there's, it's estimated there's over 600 different ESG frameworks and growing. And that's a great example of how a cloud ERP system should be able to keep up with those regulations so that companies that are using the systems don't have to and that it's taken care of as part of the business processes. So how can you keep up with all these new sustainability and compliance regulations as a business? Right. And you're absolutely right. This is a perfect example of what a modern cloud ERP system can do, particularly because this kind of compliance is really about data. Right? We need to have the data. We need to yeah. know what we're doing. We need to know why we're doing it. Where are these things coming from? Who are they buying? What's, what are the materials? What's in this product? Am I Rojas compliant? Or because if I'm not, they're going to seize the, you know, the container <laughs> at the harbor. Am I employing the right people? Is my supply chain ethical? That's a data question. And that's where you know, the more you can really build out an enterprise resource planning system that's data rich across the entire supply chain value chain across the entire end-to-end -end process again from you know from digging it out of the ground to deliver it to a patient you kind of if you can manage that if you can really track the progress of the different components in your bill of material the different components in your service delivery the different components in your customer relationship you're going to be able to do that in a way that that's just simply impossible before so point number one is just compliance from a company standpoint is a data thing that, that, that Cloud ERP really does a good job of. The other thing Cloud ERP does a really good job of, I'll call it compliance. You mentioned all these different regimes. A lot of them are very similar. A lot of them have similar requirements. A lot of companies really struggle with the complexity of being compliant on a one-to-one -one basis. I have a single relationship with this supplier. I'm going to have to be compliant with their particular regime. It turns out that stuff's pretty similar. And kind of like the model we have of, you know, for building the sort of the clean core with the basic business processes, the horizontal processes in place that are standardized, you can standardize a lot of this compliance reporting in an ERP system and there and allow the small supplier to really have a much easier path to be compliant to multiple different partners, multiple different supply chains without having to essentially reinvent compliance every single with every single relationship. So this ability to expand outward from a set of standard processes adds an efficiency to a company, any company's compliance requirements. That's a really big deal, particularly for smaller suppliers who are very resource-constrained. I mean, the plastics taxes in Europe are a great example where we've introduced regulations in the UK around using 70% recycled plastic versus virgin plastic, and you get fined if you don't. But then in Spain, the tax is completely different. And in the next country, it may be different again. And how do you keep up? With, I mean, that's the challenge is keeping up with all of these different country by country regulations 
Wouldn't it be great if I just had a vendor who could just put that into a piece of software and say, okay, where are you doing business? What industry are you in? And it's not really as simple as checking a box, but it's pretty darn close. It uh, it takes a lot lot of the pain away, doesn't it? Yes, tremendous amounts. A big, you know, big efficiency gain for these companies. I mean, we're coming towards the end, so I have a few more questions. But so if a company's looking to implement a cloud ERP system, where should they start? I mean, how do you get moving on this? What they should, what should they be doing now? Hopefully they're doing something because it's really, it's really time to start looking at the legacy processes in your business and ask yourself, you know, how long is this going to last? I don't really run into a company that hasn't had that epiphany. They've been, again, reading the news and living the life of the last crazy three years. But I, you know, I always recommend for my clients, let's start with really look at your high value processes. You know, you can really divide the things that really make a difference to the end, at the end of the day to get your customer success and your bottom line. Let's make sure that those are as efficient as possible. Often they're not. Often the parts of it are broken. They're parts of it that are not automated or stuff that's simply being run on, on old legacy systems. Let's look at those first. How do we upgrade them? And then and assuming we know they're probably you know, out of date, let's look for, yes, look for a cloud ERP system that can do that. The nice thing about you know, the cloud is that, that you ought to be able to find, again, a lot of basic functionality that may have been customized in 1990 or 2002 that's now standard business practice in the cloud ERP. So a lot of what you're doing in this initial analysis is just saying, is there something that I can do different, that I can do better actually with much less work. So again, I always say, let's look at those core high value processes, figure out how they can be migrated, figure out what the business processes, particularly ones that have been customized. Again, that's the other one. Okay. You've got a lot of stuff that was customized. And these are the hard questions. Sometimes these are change management questions, almost not technology questions. Do we really need to have our customer record have this particular configuration that's unique to our company only? But no one in the other industry does it. If that is that, if that's imparting, let's have the discussion. Is that imparting the competitive advantage we really need, or is it really just making things look different and kind of cool or complex? Those are hard change management questions, but they also have to be dealt with. Let's make sure that when we do things differently, when we step outside of the business best practices of our industry, we're doing it because we've discovered a better way. If we haven't discovered a better way, if we're just doing things to be more complex, let's standardize. Let's go for standard and put our efforts into what's really going to get us competitive advantage. I guess the other thing I do is really, you know, let's look at your supply chain. Where, wherever you sit, top tier OEM versus third tier partner, and try to figure out what are, the, what are your main business partners looking for you to do. And I'm going to guess a lot of them, for instance, want visibility into your, you know, into your it could be your warehouse, your manufacturing. They want to be able to predict their, you know, your ability to fulfill their demands. So if this is what your supply chain is doing, then let's have a look at how would you fulfill that? You can't do that with EDI anymore. How, let's get to the next level. And again, and I do recommend incremental change. I'm not a big bang guy. We've seen too many bridges burn to the ground trying to do that. So you have to be pragmatic about it. And that's why I say, let's find the real high value stuff first. I don't think there's a shortage of high value processes in most companies that could, yeah, you know, that need an upgrade. And let's you know, figure what what those are. Figure out who the stakeholders are so you can get them involved as well. No, just do it as an IT practice. And then have the very pragmatic discussions about where's 
competitive advantage versus where standard practice and, and figure out the balance of that. that. There could be a lot of value in that and it can really lead you to a very quick time to value in terms of getting a cloud ERP system up that, that really changes the equation for your company. That coming up with the 80 or 90% of the things that are standard and the 20 or the 10% of things that are differentiating is a key step in that process because you really want to think hard about, as you mentioned, if the customer master needs to be set up in a certain way, it's not really differentiating in most cases, I would imagine. So, but, but the idea, yeah, but I'll just finish also, because you said something, I think it's important to emphasize. The other thing you're doing, of course, is creating a platform for innovation. And so mm -hmm. that's the other thing you want to look at when you're thinking about, okay, I need to fix some of the stuff that's broken today or get it more efficient. But I also want to make sure that when I am looking towards a future where there's, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be a disruptor in some part of my industry, or I'm going to, if I'm a B2B company today, I may really want to be looking at how do I become B2C yep. tomorrow, because that's what my industry is going to make me do, or I won't make it. So you also want the platform that gives you that ability to expand. And that's, again, one of the nice things about the cloud is you have that cloud ERP lets you envision expansion without having to buy it and build it today because you can bring these resources on and you can increase your use and your hyperscale of the technology you need to run your business. You don't have to buy, you know, buy it first and then try to amortize it later. So there's a lot of planning around innovation you can do with the cloud ERP system as well. That leads me perfectly into the last question that I ask everyone on this podcast. And the white paper is called ERP of the future, or more specifically ERP of the future today. As we're on the future of ERP podcast, in your opinion, in a few sentences, what is the future of ERP? In a funny way, the future is actually where we started in this podcast, business process re-engineering. The future of ERP is to be a platform for the continuous re-evaluation and re-engineering of the core business processes that run the company, not to bake them in, in, in concrete, not to set them in stone, but to actually make them as functional and unbreakable as possible today, but very easy to modify and adapt for tomorrow. I think that's, the, and like I said a minute ago, that the ability to be a platform for innovation, the innovation you don't know you need yet, but that's the other imperative with ERP. You know, anticipate where the, you know, where the business of the future is going. We have models of companies that are really out in the leading edge of their industries and of some of these best practices. Not everyone can be there today, but we can look at how they do this, look at how they use cloud ERP and set the stage for a similar evolution. And it starts with having the right ERP platform. So I think the future really is this continuous re reinvention of the enterprise. That's great. Thank you very much. Josh, as ever, thanks for a great conversation. It's been a pleasure. Yes. And thanks. I look forward to doing this again. You know, the future is always coming at us. So Talk future I am sure you'll be invited back very soon. My pleasure. Thank you. No problem. And thanks everyone for listening. Please mark us as a favorite and you can get regular updates and information about future episodes. We'll be sure to include a link to Josh's paper in the show notes. So please have a look there and download it. But until next time, thank you for discussing the future of ERP.